Nyata, hello. My name is Alison and I pastor a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. And we're based on Pequorum country in Warrnambool. Now today I'm looking at Jesus' advice to disciples in situations of conflict. And you'll find it in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Now when I was in my late 20s, I returned to church. And it wasn't exactly a return to paradise. Instead, I found myself in conflict after conflict after conflict. I'd use the wrong word and someone would give me the silent treatment. I'd be unable to stand up to someone else and I'd feel trampled and angry. I'd bear the brunt of a third person's rage or I'd be enraged myself at their all too obvious hypocrisy or their rejection of gospel living. Quite frankly, there were times when I hated them all. And I hated them because I had absolutely no tools to deal with minor hurts or aggressions or conflicts. Like many of us here, and like many others in the Australian church, I was brought up in the white middle class. And what this means is that I was taught to ignore hurt. Never make waves. Never say, that's profoundly unfair. Never acknowledge my pain or sense of injury. Never recognise the part that I might play in conflict and never find ways to resolve it. Oh, I was great at complaining about people behind their backs and at making passive-aggressive comments in front of them. I was great at trying to co-opt more powerful people into taking my side while explaining why I was entirely innocent. I could get the silent treatment and dish it right back. I could ignore someone for weeks or even months. I could spend hours trying to analyse someone else's behaviour. I could speak forcefully with the pastor about how this was supposed to be a community of love and what the hell were all these jerks doing here? Of course, sometimes the jerk turned out to be the pastor. And sometimes the jerk was me. Now maybe that church was particularly dysfunctional, or maybe I was. I'd say that the church in Australia is particularly dysfunctional most of the time. But maybe some of this was also normal. Because in a way that I find both challenging and refreshing, Jesus assumes that there will be conflict among disciples. He takes it for granted that if we're turning towards one another in love, then the very fact of engagement with each other means that injuries, hurts, rivalries and disagreements are inevitable. What's more, Jesus assumes that this matters because our relationships have consequences beyond ourselves. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, he says, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Our relationships and the ways we are bound together or torn apart shape the kingdom of heaven itself. And while that is mildly terrifying, I find it personally encouraging that he assumes that we need practical guidelines with our conflict. Apparently, it's not just middle-class white ladies who are rubbish at conflict. His first-century Mediterranean male disciples needed help too. So according to Jesus, conflict is inevitable 
and when it happens, we're not to ignore it. Nor are we to throw in the towel and move on. Instead, we are to deal with it together. And I suspect this is because working through conflict is how we move beyond vague feelings of benevolence into powerful, self-giving love. How then do we do this work? Well, obviously our processes will be shaped by culture, context, class and personality. But Jesus has clear guidelines for situations of fairly equal power. First, says Jesus, when someone in the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. To be clear, this is not for an abuse situation, and I've spoken elsewhere about what to do then. But for situations where there is reasonably equal power, the first step is simply to name injury. Now, it sounds easy enough, but it's a hard one for middle-class white ladies to admit that there is conflict or hurt and that everything is not fine, and then to be brave enough to do something about it. Speaking for myself, the very idea of naming something directly makes my heart pound and my head spin. And that's why sometimes I'm so blunt, because I'm speaking through my fear and anxiety. On the flip side, this advice of speaking directly also implies that I need to be brave. Brave not just to speak, but also to listen when someone else calls me out. And rather than feeling resentful, perhaps I could be grateful that they love me enough to speak with me in private without shaming or humiliation. Because Jesus is effectively saying, don't triangulate. Don't gossip. Don't talk behind someone's back. Don't get all passive-aggressive and absolutely never go on a rant on social media. Instead, if there's an issue, speak with the other person privately and directly. They may not even realise that they've thrown out a stumbling block for us. They may not know we are hurting until we tell them. Or perhaps we've misinterpreted them because of our own unresolved issues. Whatever, a quiet word may be enough to restore relationship before it reaches a crisis. So that's step one. Take a deep breath, pray, and then go talk to the person. But sometimes as hard as it is, this isn't enough. Now in this case, says Jesus, take one or two others so that every word may be confirmed. Now these witnesses are not there to browbeat the person and they're not on anyone's side. Instead, they are there to ensure integrity and to help resolve the issue. And perhaps they are there for us too to hold up a mirror. Perhaps they'll notice our own unrecognised motives or unresolved issues. Perhaps they'll show us how we have contributed to the problem and help us to do some work. Or perhaps they will simply recall all parties to their faith and help everyone find a way forward. Whatever, take one or two others and try to work it out. 
But if even that isn't effective, says Jesus, then bring it to the church. Because a private injury between members of the congregation is a church matter. Like it or not, we are members of the body. When parts of the body are no longer in good working relationship, the health of the whole is compromised. So bring it to the church, which in a Baptist context usually means the diaconate or an external BUV facilitator. Ideally, of course, the offender will be reconciled to the church. But if not, says Jesus, we are then to decenter them. That is, we must accept that they do not want to live in right relationship with the body. Their desire to be right or to win or to hold on to hostility or bitterness or offence is greater than their desire for community. And so we remove them from any position or office and we place safeguards around their participation if indeed they continue to participate at all. In all of this, the focus is not on winning, nor is it on punishment or penalties or shaming. Jesus never mentions these. Instead, his goal, and therefore ours, is always one of restoration and ultimately forgiveness. So we are to treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector, in his words, that is, as someone who does not yet know the grace and love of God. Someone who rejects being part of the body, and yet someone to whom we continue to offer dignity, hospitality, compassion and kindness. Because we hope that one day they will long to conform to Christ and return to right relationship with his body. And of course, this has been the invitation all along. Now when I think back on my return to church those long years ago, and all its conflict and challenge. I am so incredibly grateful. I am grateful for my frustration and rage and even hate because they were powerful enough to make me sit up and take notice. They told me I was engaged, which was great, but also that I had a lot of work to do. The connection between these people and me clearly mattered but if I wanted to follow Jesus, I had to learn different when the going got tough. I'm grateful for the minister who taught me that church is a training ground. As members of the body of Christ, he said, we are given to one another in order to learn to love. And so we need to skill up and practice. I've been learning and practicing ever since and I will be until the day I die. I'm grateful also for the people who were willing to muddle along with a jerk like me, who endured both my strong emotions and my stumbling attempts at naming and working through conflict. Fumbling through those difficult conversations led to some of the most tender moments, the most powerful experiences of forgiveness, and the most enduring relationships of my life. And we never would have got there if we'd opted to live entirely private lives and if we'd ignored the relational work. Because it is work. And it runs against everything that says we should live in splendid isolation, free from the mess and inconvenience of other people. 
Yet the self-sufficient past leads directly to misery and loneliness and a life of great gnawing hunger. And as followers of Jesus and members of his body, we are called to something more. We are called to go beyond consumer attitudes and vague feelings of benevolence towards other members of the church. Instead, we are called to engagement. We are called to interdependence and we are called to the rigours and the joys of love. And this all invariably means conflict. And so the final thing I'm grateful for is the promise of Jesus. And that is this. When we do the relational work which enables two or more of us to gather in his name, then he will be in our midst, healing, reconciling and making us whole. Thanks be to God. There's always more to read on our website at sanctuarybaptist.org and this week you'll find a prayerful reading of Psalm 5 a psalm for people perhaps who are struggling. This reflection was prepared on the lands of the Pequorong people of the Eastern Ma Nation. It's a land which was taken by force and has never been ceded. This week the Merai River is crystal clear blue. Fish are spawning, birds are nesting, and the late afternoon sun sends long shadows across the land. The peace of the land, the waterways and skyways, be with us all. Amen.